0: everybody this morning, let's turn our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3, 1 Kings chapter 3, just to uh, read our verse, actually look at 1 Kings chapter, no 1 Kings chapter 3, and uh, we'll start reading At verse 16 today. Before we read, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for this beautiful, beautiful day that you've given us to come out to your house. And we pray that you'll bless us as we have gathered together in Jesus' name to worship and to uh, study, to hear a message from your word. Bless this teaching hour. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, in First Kings chapter three and verse sixteen. Now we've looked at the at the attainment of wisdom, which comes through all of these different things that we've talked about, prayer and so on and so forth. And now uh, we've come to the to the place of uh, the application of wisdom. What what I hope to cover today is two things, and that is the application of wisdom, how you see wisdom being applied, and secondly, the appreciation for wisdom. People, wisdom is something that when it is being applied, people will take notice of it. They went, maybe not uh, immediately, and we'll see in this, when you read this, as I read this, you'll see that what what Solomon says, his answer to these two harlots that come with the dead baby and so on, his answer that he said what to do, probably, if, if we had been there, most of us, probably like those people then, would have been almost thunderstruck. What? Cut the baby in half? And we wouldn't have appreciated the wisdom in that. Sometimes it takes time to see the wisdom that was behind a decision. And so we'll we'll notice that. But for now let's look at this text. Then came there two women that were harlots unto the king and stood before him. And the one woman said, O oh my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered, that this woman was delivered also. And we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while thine handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead." But when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son, which I did hear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living is my son, and the dead is thy son. And this said, No, but the dead is thy son, and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. Then said the king, The one saith, This is my son that liveth, and thy son is the dead. And the other say, Nay, but thy son is the dead, and my son is the living. And the king said, Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to this one and half to the other. Then spake the woman whose who, "'whose the living child was unto the king, "'for her bowels yearned unto her son. "'And she said, O oh my Lord, give her the living child, "'and in no wise slay it. "'But the other said, Let it be neither mine nor thine, "'but divide it. "'Then the king answered and said, "'Give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. "'She is the mother thereof. "'And all of Israel heard of the judgments "'which the king had judged.' and they feared the king for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment so here we see in the better part most of the of this passage the application of of knowledge now i'm just going to dispense with what little bit of review i was going to have and and uh, get right to this, this lesson, but I just want to, just for the sake of review, what, uh, what are some of the ways that we get wisdom? I know I mentioned this last week. What are some of the ways that we attain wisdom today? Are these lights up as bright as they'll go? Are they? Sorry to hear that. <laughs> they are. Okay. Um, what are some of the ways that we get wisdom? Real quick. Anybody? Education. What's that? Education. Experience. Experience, okay. Experience, what else? Pictures. Scripture, right. Anything else? Application. What's application of Scripture, but getting it. How do we get wisdom? Prayer. Hmm? Prayer. Prayer. Anyone else? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Developing the fear of the Lord, and what Jed said is really true because we get, we get by by application and experience. We get more and more through experience, uh, Jose. Asking by asking for it, praying—that's made very very clear in the Bible. Reading books, reading good books. When we approach so many things, we don't approach them a lot of times as intelligently as we should and could. For example, reading books is what is an example. Some people waste a whole lot of time in uh, reading books because they read the wrong books. They just read books that really don't do them any good, and after they're halfway through or all the way through, they think that, you know, this was a waste of time. And years ago, I wrote a little book, not that I'm a complete authority, but on, on any of this, but I wrote a little book on how to build a library, a basic library. Just to help people, you can waste so much time in and money in if you start out and you don 't know and a lot of I wrote this especially for preachers, but a lot of preachers, young preachers, they just don 't know and uh, and it doesn 't occur to them a lot of them to ask somebody for some book recommendation they just go out and willy nilly buy what looks good and You know the old saying, you can't judge a book by its cover, but a lot of people do just that. They do judge books by their cover, which is a big mistake. But anyway, these are some of the ways that we get knowledge. But now we're looking at the actual application of knowledge. This is all so so important for our day. We have never, I think it's safe to say this, that we have never, because of the times we're living in, Never needed Christian people to have wisdom and exercise wisdom more than today. Now why do I say that? Because we are living in darker times universally than have ever been lived by any people in the history of mankind. These are darker times and we just use our own country as an example uh, how dark and deluded our whole society is. Our, the only explanation for how rapidly our Judeo-Christian culture and foundations are being upended and destroyed rapidly, the only explanation for how this is happening, the way it's happening, so quickly, so outrageously, The only explanation is supernatural. The only explanation for how people can tell such outrageous, crazy, laughable lies, and at the same time those lies being either believed or otherwise embraced by people, who a few years ago would have laughed at these these concepts, who would have been and should have been insulted and outraged by them. Today, they're either believing them, really believing them, or embracing them, going along with it. It again goes back to what I call sin-induced brain rot. It It is the... in-play manifestation of a satanic power brought to bear on our whole society. And that is the world in which we live right now. That's the world in which we're eating and drinking and giving in marriage and raising our children and everything else. And so that's why I said that there's never been a greater need for wisdom than we have today. So this is a very important part of our lesson here, the application of wisdom. Now this application of wisdom involves two main things. and Those two main things have two subordinate things under each of them. But let's look at what is involved here in Solomon's application of wisdom. The first thing that we see in this passage, beginning in verse 16, is, is the dilemma, the dilemma that he is faced with. Now, what I just described a couple of minutes ago was a description of a dilemma that we face in so many ways on so many fronts in America today. Now, let's just keep in mind that if there is any hope for this society, it is in God's people It's not in unsaved politicians or philosophers or law enforcement or anything like that. The greatest help and hope of our country right now, other than Supreme Court judges and attorneys and presidents and all of that, the most unformally educated little housewife and mother washing dishes at her sink, who is born again and has access to to God in prayer is more important than all those people put together. So this is something that needs to be kept in mind because we face dilemma on all, all hands, on all sides today. And this dilemma is brought before Solomon in verses 16 through 22. That's where you find it. That's where I read it. These, these two women come and um, two harlots. Now, there are two harlots. Each of them has had a baby. And they're both contending for that living child. Both of them are claiming that the living child is theirs. Now, I just want to say this right quick. These are two harlots. They're not the most reputable women in, in the Hebrew society or any society. But they have these, child, these two, each of them has a child, and they're both contending for it. They want it. They want it. They want it. Do you know what that is? That's an indictment on our society today. When maybe somewhere near half of the women... In America have no problem with aborting their own children or other people b- aborting their own babies. These two harlots and their, their thinking concerning this living child is an indictment on uh, on what we have today to deal with. The uh, Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter three, verse one through three, this is such a wonderful, wonderful passage." Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. What narcissism? We we have a word for that. You know, if you really want to have an interesting study, word studies are interesting, but if you really want to really study narcissism, a narcissist, I, I think I'll take just a couple minutes on that. A narcissist is somebody, their motto is, it's all about me. It's all about me. They may not ever come out and say that, but they might as well wear a sandwich board on the front and on the back that says, it's all about me, in the way they act. That's the way they present themselves. That's the way they, they deal with other people. They, they're always, if they can twist and turn anything into a compliment of themselves, they will. And it rarely occurs to them to compliment or encourage anyone else unless somehow they can work themselves into the mix. They think they're the smartest man or the smartest woman in the room. No matter how big the room, no matter how full the room. They really think they're the smartest person in the room. And on and on, but that's a, a brief description of narcissism. They're lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers. And it always really strikes me how this is sandwiched in between all of this. They're disobedient to parents. Here's the di- pe- children who are disobedient to their parents. Read Romans chapter 1. They're, they're ca- right in the same category with sodomites and murderers and everyone else, which God is wanting to impress upon us how important it is that we raise obedient children. Children have to be taught to be obedient. And that's why I'm just going to say, and I know I've got a bunch of grandchildren here, and, and uh, you know, I have to face all the time every parent here. But it is not a good thing for these children, it's getting worse and worse and worse, to be running and dashing and foot racing around these hallways. That is not a good thing on so many levels. The biggest one being it's a it's a bad misrepresentation of of their parents. And I'm sure not one of those parents has not at some time or another said, Don't run. Behave yourself. I'm just using that as an example of how important it is that children be orderly and taught to behave. Somebody might think and you know, might be thinking, Well, there you go, Brother Kirkman. We knew you when you were forty, and here you are at this age. You're just another one of those old curmudgeons that (laughs) <laughs> no, that's not, that. that's not that at all, because I've been saying that for years. <laughs> but it's so important. Disobedient to parents, what a dangerous thing. Unthankful, unholy, and here it is, without natural affection. Without natural affection. There are people who have children and they have pets And they treat their pets with more concern than they do their own children. I've been in homes where they've told a child to get out of his chair because the dog wants to lay in it. Would you believe that? I mean, I was there when it happened. And uh, so without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent fears, despisers of those that are good. But these people without natural affection, natural affection... are are right in here. Uh, It's like that Harvard University professor, Peter Singer. Look him up on internet and include this little phrase, a boy is a pig, Uh, just but a boy is a pig, Peter Singer. it will bring it right up. He is one of the leading psychologists and authors and so on and so forth, and he's, He made that statement, there's no difference between a boy and a pig in terms of the value of their lives. So if that's not without natural affection, I don't know what is. But again, here under this dilemma, you see the claims that were involved. And to these, uh, at least at this point, to these harlots' credit, they were way, way, way out ahead of a lot of, of mothers today in their concern for this child. So you have the claims under this d- dilemma. And then in verse 23, this, these claims present, as they're brought to Solomon, a conundrum. Now, I, I wanted to make sure about the definition of that word, so I looked it up. And once again, I was right on target. <laughs> Just kidding, but what is a conundrum? When you're faced with a conundrum, what is a conundrum? A puzzle, right? A sticky wicket, <laughs> just a, a difficulty. Here's the definition: a confusing or difficult problem or question. And I put down what we would call a pickle, <laughs> a uh, a can of worms, a sticky wicket. A conundrum. That's what's brought before Solomon. And then you go from the dile- dilemma, which involves these claims and this conundrum, to the decision that was made. Now, what we need today is wisdom, especially in our, starts with an L, what? Huh? Leaders. Wisdom in our leaders, do you know what the most, if number one, most important thing about a leader and what a wise leader is just going to naturally do right off the bat? Anybody want to guess? They're going to lead. <laughs> you know, there's a, more, than, more than one of our American generals made this statement. E- either uh, follow me. Uh, lead, gu- lead, guide, follow, or get out of the way. And so it, a leader, number one, a wise leader is going to lead, which means they're going to be able to make a decision. To make a decision. You ever deal with people and they just can't make a decision? We all have that to some degree, I think. It's hard to make a decision sometime, but leaders in situations like this, they have to be able to make decisions. And here's the most important thing about making decisions. You can't be ready to make a decision quickly unless you got it in you to make a decision quickly. And what I mean by you have it in you to make a decision is what the pastor mentioned a while ago. To get wisdom, we have to be, we have to be in the Scripture, in the Scripture, in the Scripture, And while we're in the Scripture, we need to be in the Scripture in such a way that that consciously, intentionally, purposefully, we're in the Scripture because we want the Scripture to be in us. We want to be inundated with the Scripture, with truth, so that when we are faced, come up against a decision, like a wet sponge, saturated sponge, when we, saturated by the Scripture, come up against any kind of decision, it will automatically trigger a response that is based upon what the Scripture teaches. And so we do, we, when that's the case, we don't have to be spending a whole lot of time making decisions because the decisions have already been made. We just have to be filled with the knowledge of what they are. And then, no matter what the decision, if it involves a little child and child rearing or something really, really huge, then we're not going to have to think about it too long. The decision is already there, and we know what it is because it's God's decision. Now, look at verse 24, this decision. They come, and the king said, Notice there's very little hesitation here, if any. And the king said, Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. then he said what he said about cutting the child in in half. He said, uh, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Now in the first place, I'm sure it's the same today as it was then with people. Only much more so today. The people were shocked that Solomon came up with this decision so quickly. People are not used to that. They're not used to people making a decision today. They're so unused to leadership that can make a decision that they question the decision. They're frightened by the decision. Oh, he he's just came up with that too fast. He's not thought about it. And no doubt... I mean, this is what people would have been thinking then because people are not, especially in our day, they don't even know what leadership looks like, let alone sounds like, because it's been so lacking or it's been so perverted and twisted that they don't recognize true wise leadership. And what people don't understand, they're afraid of. That's why it's going to be so easy for for our government and this woke power base today in this country to turn the fires of persecution on Christians because this unsaved society does not understand the principles of the Sermon on the Mount They don't understand turning the other cheek, trusting in God. It's better to give than it is to receive. They don't understand any of that. And what people do not understand, history has proven it out, they are afraid of. And when people don't understand something, to the extent that they're afraid of it, they always attack it. That's the way it works. And so probably there were a lot of people here, before the king, when they heard this decision, that uh, were just gasping. You could have probably heard the gasp throughout the room. Here's a quotation Be willing to make decisions. That's the most important quality in a good leader. Don't fall victim to what I call the ready aim, 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 aim syndrome. You've got to be willing to pull the trigger when it comes to making decisions. Kathy? Nowadays, Christians, when you're in the Word and you have it imprinted on your heart, your mind, your soul, you can pray for wisdom in a short decision because you trust God, because you have been depending on God yes. to help you. Yeah. 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 And I don't mean this irreverently, but from what Kathy just said, you know, we can, we can pray to God for wisdom on the short notice, so to speak. And God can give us wisdom because he has, and I say it reverently, he has something to work with. And what he has to work with is that scripture that is within us. See, we still have to have the Holy Spirit come and press it. Does that make sense? You understand what I just said? All right. So, so many people, he says, fall victim to the ready, aim, aim, aim syndrome. You must be willing to fire. Here's what General George Patton said. He said, be willing to make decisions. That's the most important quality in a good leader. A good leader. A good leader is going to make wise decisions. Now I've been under it in the workplace, work uh, in the military. I know what it is to be under a bad leader, and they make quick decisions, and they're, they're just nonsensical. And sometimes they can cost people their lives, or you know, just bad, bad. Oh, they make, they're so easy to make decisions, but they they don't have the they don't have the uh, they don't have the chops. <laughs> they say to. To make decisions, they don't have the background, the learning, the understanding, the wherewithal, but they think it's impressive just to throw out a decision that quickly. But they're not good leaders, they're, they're bad characterizations of a leader. Now, convenience, let me say this convenience is not a deciding factor. There are a lot of things you could say about Solomon making a decision here. You could have just thought, huh, this is a sticky wicket. It's really not convenient at this point in time for me to deal with this right now." And so he would put it off and uh, and then, or he could justify and rationalize and just put it off with this in the back of his mind, It's cheaper, it's cheaper. Does this not sound like the abortion mentality? His answer could have been, it's cheaper to bury a dead child than raise a living one. Think about that, ladies. You don't have to, think of all the expense in raising a child today. It's just just a few dollars to bury this child. Forget about it. Then you only got one. So just, you know. But all kinds of things that could have been, this is what bad leaders do. They justify, they pass the buck, they sweep under the rug, they they wing it, you know. And uh, Solomon could have done all these things, but he didn't do it because he was a wise leader. So, here is the application of his wisdom, just in two verses. Very quickly, he says... Here's what we'll do. We'll cut the child in half. Now he's dealing very personally with these two women. He understands something about humankind, motherhood, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. human nature. So he makes a, makes this decision uh, and puts it in their lap, so to speak. Now, does anybody before we move on from the application of wisdom, maybe somebody's had a had a thought or a question or anything, Brother Joe? So many bad leaders, how do they make it to the position of leadership if they can't lead? Okay, how do um, they make it there? what Brother Joe said, how do you explain leadership? so many bad leaders that make it to the place of leadership when they can't lead? That is a great question. It's not going to take me long to answer it, at least as well as I can. They make it, the reason this happens is because of the overall state of people who are so dumbed down in so many ways. And they're not really looking for leadership. They're, they're not really looking for leadership because they don't know what they're even they don't even know what to look for. They don't know what the answer to their lead, the leadership problem is because they don't even know what the question should be. That's the way it is in so much of society. And furthermore And everything goes back in one way or another to the fear of God or the lack thereof. You have so many, let's just use the pastoral leadership. You have so many people, and before I say that, in general, the problem of people so easily entering in to positions that require profound leadership one of the, the greatest being, being a father, being a husband. And how many people just rush into that based upon good looks, we like the same things, and all of these nonsensical reasons to enter into a marriage. This person is no more qualified to lead anything, to, have a, to, to gain the respect, which we see this coming up, to in any position to have the respect of a wife to where she'll have no problem in submitting to his leadership, he's a dunce. He doesn't have any leadership. He, he's, he's a coward. He can't make a decision. He's proved that the whole time during her courtship. But she, on the other hand, doesn't understand the importance. All she knows is what a, wow, what a looker. You know, or this guy is going to really be able to make some money. All these decisions like that. So the answer there, how do you explain it? People, and here's the fear of God. People, take pastors for example. Churches are full of pastors that have no more business pastoring a church than any child in that nursery this morning does. And yet they're in it. Which shows us how little fear of God there is in people today. They have a Bible that if they read it and understood it, were honest about it, tells them immediately. You're not qualified." If you think God has called you to preach, you must have made a mistake because God doesn't contradict his own word. Is any of this making sense so far? And so here you have pastors, because they have no fear of God, they thrust themselves in this position. When I was shaving this morning, I was thinking about some of this, and I was thinking about, I'd like to write some articles on it, just some telltale signs of the ministry and where it is. You hear preachers so many times, and they'll say, especially younger ones, "Mm, I'm not being... uh, I'm not being discriminatory now. It's just the way it is. And they talk about, boy, I'm really having fun. We really had a lot of fun in our services yesterday. Or I really had fun preparing that message. I really had fun preaching that sermon yesterday. I I will guarantee you, you can search search the religious writings, the books, and so on and so forth, if you're old enough to think back and remember, you would have never heard preachers referring to the work of the ministry as an opportunity for them to have fun. That is one of the most despicable, telling, revelatory commentary on where the ministry is today. And just because a person has managerial Ability, they might make a really good manager of a Starbucks or a car dealership. They might be, might be a top notch sales manager because they got charisma, they've got street savvy, they know how to work people, manipulate things, and promote and advertise and all of that. And they can therefore build a super mega church. But they don't have any business in the ministry. And we're getting away from the whole concept of a God-called ministry in Baptist churches. One of the things that God's people have always believed in is a God-called ministry. That God calls preachers. And people used to be very careful about their use of words across the board. Their use of vocabulary. And people used to, and I'm... Please don't misunderstand me. But it's just a trap into which we can get caught up. I I get caught up in it. But we've got to be very careful about talking about so-and-so is going to be preaching and pre. No, they're they're not preachers. We don't mean to to be passing it off or dismissing the idea of preachers that God calls preachers. But when you do that and you've got 10-year-olds and 13-year-olds and new Christians, before long they're going to start thinking, I didn't know that. God called this person to preach. See, I never heard this language until the last 10 years. And, and, and it's easy to get caught up in it. I'm not trying to be hypercritical, but words have meaning. Okay? And here again, wisdom is involved. Jed? Going back to leaders not making decisions, Solomon could have easily said, what do people think if I tell these two ladies to cut their child, cut this child in half? Mm -hmm. Maybe he could put that off, And and you see that a lot of times in leaders, that they're afraid of what others might think if they choose to leave. Yeah. Yeah. um, I'm writing a few articles, leadership from L to P, and C doesn't have, let me check. I don't think C is in the word leadership, but. C would stand for courage. And it takes courage to make decisions, whether you're leading in a college or anywhere else, Brother Brandon. Equated position with leadership. I mean, I deal with a lot in the secular world where somebody will say, Well, I wish I was a leader, and it's your fault because you haven't given me the position. Yeah. Now, Brett and I have had some discussions just on his, about his work, you know, things going on at work and so on, but that, that is such a good point. Well, I've got so much time in, I ought to be getting this position as a leader. You know, I ought to be appointed to this managerial position over here. I've got the time in. I've got the educational credentials. What about me? They're not thinking about... Have you got the leadership ability? Because these people's livelihoods depend upon it, the success of the company depends upon it, and everything. And no, you don't. You don't earn respect because you have a position. You you don't. Leadership is not automatic. It's not inherited. Here's another thing we live in, in our society in Jordan. I I'm, I want to get your comment here's another thing about our society and especially in the church preacher pastor world here's something else i haven't seen and i'm not discounting all of it saying none of this is of god i'm not saying that but we are somebody tell me what is nepotism what is it what is to be what's nepotism yeah nepotism is your relatives come first no matter what boom Somebody, somebody's founded a company, makes his son the next president, and his son couldn't find his way out of his door, inside out of the rain. So the, com- the company goes to the, on the skids. All of the employees suffer. Maybe the company goes billy up because of nepotism. Now, here's something I have not seen until the last 10, 15, 20 years. In churches, it is astounding how many pastors—they step out of the pastorate. Their son, their son-in-law, becomes the next pastor. And we're so far gone now. The church has just given up its responsibility. I know a church—I could not—not not too far from here. I mean, it's hundreds of miles from here, but. And I've seen this happen over and over. I could name names and give examples. The pastor gets up and says, I'm resigning, and my son Billy is going to be the pastor. Here's sets 100, 200, 300 people. Okay. Does that sound like a church following through on its responsibility to you? It doesn't to me. Jordan? Uh, I was just going to say that uh, when it comes to making a decision in a timely fashion, oftentimes while you're not making that decision, that is a form of making the decision itself. It's the decision to do nothing. Yeah, that is so good. I'm so glad you mentioned that. If you don't make a decision, you've made a decision. You've made a decision. By not making a decision, you've made a decision. Whether it is by not making a decision, no, we'll we'll let this... This project go, and it can all rot in the ground for all I care. By not making a decision, you are making a decision for whether people can stay on their inner place of employment or not. Jordan, that was such an important comment. We've got to be people who make decisions. And let's not lose sight of this. Mothers and wives have got to be people who can make a decision, Oliver has three siblings, four, as far as we know, four younger than him. He's got to be brought up to speed to exercise some sort of leadership as he grows up for the sake of his brothers and sister. Leadership is so important, but it has to be wise leadership, not something that somebody just got because they fell into it. Or they kicked the door open to get there. Or whatever. Anybody else? Okay. Uh, if I sound passionate about this, it's because I am. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not angry about I'm not mad about anything. <laughs> Sometimes I have to explain myself about that. I don't want to come across that way. All right, now here's a decision. We're done. (laughs) Class is over. And that was a hard decision to make, but it was made for me. So class is dismissed.